I'm always honored to get to share the word with our church family. We've already had such a rich night here tonight, right? You're getting a sheet that we're going to reference in a few moments, so just hang on to that. But you know, we have been in this series called Breaking the Yoke, and it has spoken so much to my heart. Every week, my heart's been resounding in it, so I'm really excited about what I believe the Lord is going to continue to speak into that tonight. You know, I'm sure that all of us are probably aware that when somebody really is passionate about something, they talk about that a lot. Sometimes ad nauseum, right? You're like, enough already, right? And maybe even uh, growing up, maybe that was your parents, something that was really important to them. They talked to you about it all the time, all the way through your growing up years. Well, you know what? They do that because they care a lot about something. And the same is true about our God. The things that he cares about, he talks about a lot. And we can find out about what he cares about by finding out about what he talks about a lot. And you know what, God talks about freedom a lot because God cares about freedom. He created us to be free. And so it breaks his heart when he looks down upon us and he sees us bound up, right? When God sees us bound up in things like insecurity, or fear, or worry. You know, God cares, and it breaks his heart when he sees that. When God looks down upon us and he sees us bound up in selfishness, or materialism, or greed, or lust, or any kind of thing that would be destructive in our lives, God's heart breaks because he did not create us for bondage. He created us for freedom. So we find he talks about freedom a lot. You know what? Anything that holds us captive in destructive ways is not in God's best for us. And so we can know that God cares about freedom a lot because he talks about freedom a lot. And you know what? Most of us, I think probably all of us, I'll assume, I hate to do that, but it's good I think in this regard, most of us want to be free. Like I don't know anybody that says just bind me up, you know, on purpose. We want to be free. And we've been thinking about that and talking about that in this series. And so if God desires that so much for us, and we desire that so much for us, the question, obvious question becomes then, well, then how do we get there, right? How do we really experience that freedom? I've really loved this series because Pastor Fred has taken us to a place in the Word that not only highlights so much of what Christ has done, but also calls us to see our responsibility in that experience of freedom. And I'm not going to take the time to review all of those messages. If you've not been here for any of them, I really encourage you to go back and listen to them on the podcast. But I do want to review two things. And the first one is this. Pastor Fred has made it very clear that God's word proclaims that it is the ministry of Christ that establishes our freedom. Without Jesus, there's just no even hope for freedom. But he's also brought us to a very unique scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 10, 27, and we'll put it up here on the screen. And it really ministers this idea that our growth is a response to the ministry of Christ. And as we get bigger or fatter, right? I mean, and we don't like to think about, oh, I want to be fat, but we're talking about spiritually fat, all right? So this ministers this idea that as we get fat, we will break out of the things that bind us because we get too big for them. That's been a big focus of this series, that spiritual fatness. Now, if that's new to you, you might be going, 
what? Because that might sound like something you've not heard before. And I'll be honest, the very first night of the series, I was like, what? Because I do everything I can to avoid being fat. And so I'm like, I don't want to be fat. Can you give me another word? But it was right there in my Bible. I don't know how I hadn't seen it. So I'm very glad he brought that up. But what happened for me was that night I went home and I just had to meditate on that and think on that. And the more I did, the Holy Spirit began to remind me that, Sharon, this is nothing new. God has said this over and over and over again in his word. He just says it in a lot of different ways. He speaks into that truth that we have a responsibility to grow into the salvation gift that we have been given in Christ. To grow so fat that the yokes cannot contain us anymore. It was new to me in Isaiah 27, or 1027, but God repeats the same idea again and again because he cares about freedom a lot. He talks about what he cares about, and he talks about it a lot. So tonight, guess what he's going to talk about? <laughs> he's going to talk about freedom to us, and I'm excited about what I believe he really has to share. Just like a loving parent would continue to speak. If you're a parent and there are things that you are knowing that you want to see develop in your child and that God wants to see develop, you'll keep talking to them about it. You'll find creative ways to just bring it up even as they become adults. My kids are adults and I look for ways to find that moment that I can speak it and God's doing that too. And you know what? I think that moment might be for some of us tonight. Where God, as our loving Heavenly Father, really wants to speak this idea of freedom. It's not like he's never said it before, but maybe we'll hear it in a fresh way tonight. So, the word that God is going to use to speak that for us tonight is in Isaiah 61. So I would encourage you to open up your Bibles there. Or if you've got your Bible on a phone, whatever you can do to get yourself in the word of Isaiah 61, that would be great. But before we jump into that passage, I really believe it's necessary to talk for a moment and would really be beneficial for us to talk for a moment about some gospel foundations of our freedom. Super important for us to understand that because if we don't understand the breadth of the gospel and the completeness of the gospel in our lives, what happens is a lot of times we won't step into it or there'll be a lot of confusion and we'll just kind of get paralyzed in the whole process of growth. I know for me personally, I mean, I've been in church probably since, you know, the Sunday after I was born. I was in church every time the doors were open. But for more than the first half of my life, somehow... I missed the gospel. Like, I could have told you the facts of the gospel, but I had not really understood the breadth and the depth and the completeness of the gospel. And because of that, I was paralyzed in my growth and caught up in all kinds of sin. I didn't understand the work of Christ. But God, in the anointing of the ministry of Jesus, came and ministered that to me when I was about 29 years old so that I could see that it was Jesus, it's all about Jesus, that he had done the work of the gospel in my life, that it was his mercy and his grace that saved me. It wasn't about me working hard because that's where I was in my brain. I thought I had to work hard to gain the favor of God and that maybe then he might think I was worthy enough or thankful enough for what Jesus had done. I, used, I remember I used to at Easter when other people would be crying because Jesus had died, I'd come under so much condemnation because I wasn't crying and I thought I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't measure up. I don't care enough. And Satan would just pound me down with all of this condemnation in my heart. I didn't realize that Christ had already saved me. 
I didn't realize all the breadth of what he was doing. I knew I was going to heaven one day, but not only was I under all this condemnation, I was also bound up in a lot of destructive habits and patterns in my life, and I just didn't know how to break free of those things. And God ministered that gospel to me, and I got a hold of that, that knowledge that it is Jesus that has done that mercy and grace work in my life, and I don't have to earn it. And oh, it was so good for me, church. I mean, I grabbed hold of that with all I had, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to break free of all this mess in my life now. But a few months later, I'm like, I'm still not free. I'm still struggling with this and this and this. And I finally just came clean with God. I mean, he saw it anyway, right? But I just said, God, what is up with this? I don't get it. Why can I not get free? And I'd cry out to him and say, set me free, set me free. But I was still walking in those patterns, even though I was so grateful for his salvation. Does anybody relate to that at all? We all struggle in those ways, right? I'm so thankful that God came and met me as the teacher that he is in our lives, the Holy Spirit, right? Because he taught me something. And that's what I want to share with you some tonight before we get into Isaiah 61 and where you might want to reference this sheet that we gave you. We're going to put it up on the screen and you'll follow along with me in the progression of it that way, but that way you'll really be able to see the words because if you're more than a few rows back, you might not, you might not be able to, all right? But his lesson began first with that, that knowing that it's all about Jesus because we understand, at least I hope that you understand, that without the powerful work of Jesus, his plan, right? His power, his blood, his resurrection, don't even talk about freedom because there is no freedom without Christ and what he's done. It's all about him. But he also showed me that it's about my part too, what I need to do to experience that freedom. So before we go to Isaiah 61, let me share some more with you about that. God started with that basic understanding of, of the work of Christ in my life, but then he built upon it. And the way that he really began was by teaching me about how I'm made. Now, if you've ever heard me teach or preach before, you've probably heard me say some of this before because I care about it a whole lot. So I talk about it a whole lot, all right? It's made all the difference for me in my Christian walk. It was a turning point. It was where chains began to have the opportunity to really begin to be broken off. So how are we made? You know, God made us in his image. And God is three, right? But he's also one. We call that the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We also are made in his image. We are one person, but we have three parts. We have a spirit. All of us have a spirit. We were created with a spirit. That's the place where God would dwell within us. You see that right there on that left-hand side of that chart there, all right? We have a spirit. That's the place where God would dwell within us. We have a soul. Our soul is comprised of our mind, our will, and our emotions, all right? It's kind of the essence of your personality. You don't think the same way the person next to you does. You don't feel the same way they do. You don't make the same decisions that they do. It's what makes us different each from another. That's what our soul is. And then we also all have a body. We know that. Sometimes people tend to think that this is all that there is, but no, the body is one part of us. It's really, the Bible calls it a tent, okay? It's, he calls it a tent for our spirit and our soul to live in. Some people call it our earth suit, all right? It's what we live in while we're here, fearfully and wonderfully made, amazing, but it's our body. It's not all of who we are. So we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. God made us completely in his image. Now, the Bible also tells us, if you go to that middle column of that, that chart there, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. 
In other words, when you sin, it's like you are yoking up with Satan. In other words, attaching your life to him, and you're saying to him, hey, take me to the death chamber. Because that's exactly where sin takes you. Sin produces death. And death affects every single part of who we are. We have to understand this if we're going to grow and break the yokes of sin. Look at this with me. As sin entered the world, death affected every part. It's important to understand how that happened, how it will happen, and how it's happening even now. The death of our spirit happened in an instant. Back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there, God gave them a boundary line, an ancient boundary line that he had set up, and he told them, you have freedom to eat of all of this and to take of all of this, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. Now, we all know they did eat of it. Sin entered the world, is now passed down to us, right? But I used to read that, and I would think, well, but they didn't die in that day. They, they were going to die one day, but they didn't die in that day because I didn't understand how we're made. They did die that day. Their spirit died that day because God would not dwell in the presence of sin. So now the spirit of God left them. They were there then to do life by themselves on the earth with just their soul and their body. The spirit of God was no longer alive in them. So there was a death that day. It happened in an instant. Now, the death of our soul is different, though. The death of our soul happens over time. And you might be thinking, well, how in the world does your soul die anyway? Like, how does your mind and your will and your emotions die? I know one of the songs we were singing tonight was talking about, you know, I was like living in a tomb. Like, I wasn't even alive. I was, I was breathing, but I wasn't alive. And that's what happens with people. Because every step we take towards sin, we're taking further and further away from what God created for our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind, our will, and our emotions were given to us that we might experience the height of life, the height of intelligent, bright, light-filled thinking, emotions that bring us joy, inexpressible and full of glory, right? A will that takes us down the pathways of amazing things that God created us to do, destiny. And every time we take a step away from that, it perverts it and kills it a little bit more. It's this slow, torturous death. Have you ever known anybody who was breathing but not alive? It's like, look, maybe that's you. Maybe you look in the mirror and that's how you feel and that's what your life has become. People's minds can totally end up in death where they become so perverted, so far away from what God created them for. It happens over time, the death of our soul. So it's happening even now. If we are not moving in the direction, walking in the pathways that God has for us, we are walking with Satan toward the death chamber for our mind, will, and emotions. And then what about the death of our body? We all know it's going to happen one day, right? That's not news to any of us. That's the one that we're most aware of. At one point in the future, we don't know when, but our bodies will die. Now all that's pretty sad, right? And sin is sad right? That is the bad news, right? But there is good news, which is exactly what the gospel means. Look with me at the glory of God's salvation plan. God planned for salvation to affect every part of who we are, and it's, it's so masterfully planned. First of all, the salvation of our spirit. 
Church, it is all God's doing. You couldn't do it if you tried. Neither could I. I tried for a long time. I kept thinking, I can impress God if I get good enough. And that's what a lot of people do in religion. They try to impress God. We can't. It's all God's doing. That's why Jesus is such a gift. When Jesus died in our place, he justified us. That's the legal term for that. It says it right there on that sheet. It says he justified us. That means he made us just as if we never sinned. His blood comes upon us. And so... When God looks at us, he sees us in Christ just as if we'd never sinned. And you know what? He allows his spirit to resurrect on the inside of your spirit. That's why we're called a reborn Christian or a born-again Christian. Your spirit gets born again. It was dead when you were born. You know, when babies are born, they are not born with a spirit alive. They're beautiful, they're precious, but they are sinners, okay? When they're born, we are born. I know it's sorry. It's horrible, but it's the truth. It is the gospel truth. And that child needs to be saved, every child. Now, they haven't acted in sin, but they have a nature of sin because we're born in that line of Adam, all right? And so every child needs to experience salvation. But we all have that opportunity for Christ, the Holy Spirit, to come in and resurrect and inhabit our spirit again. All God's doing, we can't do it, it's justification. Now, skip down with me, skip the one about the, uh, the soul, let's go down to the body. It's all God's doing too. You know what? I think it's so important for us to take care of our physical bodies. I, I'm super committed to that, right? But you can eat all the kale you want, and you can drink the water, and you know you can put lotions and potions all over your face as much as you want, but you are not going to be able to save these bodies or make them new. But you know what God promises us? In heaven... We are promised in scripture, we are getting a new body. That is the salvation of our body. Can all of the older people, and I would be one of them, say hallelujah, right? Because every wrinkle you see come, and you're like, nope, I'm getting a new body, right? It's coming in heaven. And you can't do it. It's all God's doing. It's the salvation of Jesus. He totally saves us in our spirit. He totally provides that salvation for our bodies. But what about our souls? This is a little bit different. And this is something that God speaks into over and over. He uses so many metaphors all throughout scripture. Look at what he says here. The salvation of our soul is God's doing absolutely because we wouldn't even know what to do, what to begin, how to do it. But he invites us into the process. And this is called sanctification. Just like the death of your soul takes place over time, so does the salvation of your soul. It's a working out of the things of God in your life. And what happens is as you begin to let the Spirit of God take over your life, to grow bigger in your life, to grow fatter in your life, right? He displaces these yokes that have been put around us generation after generation after generation, and those things begin to come off. And we begin then to walk in the freedom as we grow in the knowledge of the truth, the faith of, our, of, of the truth and in the practice of righteous living. All this growth, this spiritual fatness puts pressure on those yokes. We do that as we choose, but it is our choice. A lot of people never step into the salvation of their soul. They never take the invitation to walk with God and work these things out. It is incredible how completely 
God provided salvation for us. In every way that sin affected us, spirit, soul, and body, God has provided salvation for us and shown us so clearly his plan. And it's so important for us to understand this because without it, we're confused a lot of times. And we go around in circles trying to get free. We also come under a lot of condemnation because it is a process, and you're gonna make some progress and then probably not make some progress, probably make some mistakes, and then and the enemy is always right there. How many of us know one of the enemy's favorite things to do is paralyze us in shame and condemnation? So you just say, well, at least I'm going to heaven one day. Well, at least I'm not as bad as she is, you know? We do that kind of thing, just trying to justify ourselves. You can't justify yourself. Christ had to do that for you. But see, when you understand this, and you study this, and you grow in this, the enemy has no power over you. You get to a place where you're confident in knowing that your spirit is saved, that God has promised salvation for your body one day, but you are also working out the salvation of your soul. So you're confident and at rest in the salvation that has been given to you and granted to you, and you're working with him in this process. So now, that's our introduction, okay? (laughs) And that's a lot of theology stuff, and that's why we put that in your hands, so you can go home and look at that. I have been studying that for 20-some years. It has made all the difference in my walk with Jesus. And it was God's invitation to me to walk with him and take responsibility for the freedom that I wanted to know. So now let's go to Isaiah 61. One of my very favorite passages of scripture, and as I talk with people about it, I find that it's a lot of people's favorite passage of scripture. This passage is really well known for the first few verses. I'm gonna read those for us as we get started. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. Now, this is all about Jesus' mission in our lives. If you've ever wondered, what did Jesus really come to do? Open your Bible to Isaiah 61 and read the first three verses. That's what he came to do in your life. And let me tell you, we could preach for days on those. We're not going to, all right? But I want to tell you just quickly why that's Jesus' mission. A lot of times in prophetic words, it's a moment for the day and a word for the day, and it was then. Isaiah spoke it to the people, and it had meaning for that moment. But many times as well, it has moments of of prophetic moments in the future, all right? And this one, absolutely, and we get to actually see it in Scripture. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, when he was born and then on the earth and starting his ministry, he walked into the temple one day, and one of the scribes handed him a scroll, all right? Out of all the scrolls they could have picked, he picks Isaiah 61, and he hands it to Jesus. Jesus opens it up, reads those same three verses that I just read to you, closes it up, and then looks at all the people who are looking at him, and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, that was about me. (laughs) You've been reading it all these years, and you thought it was about, it was about me. 
And he's telling them, this is why I came. I came to preach good news to you. I came to set you free, to open up your eyes. I came that I would comfort and bind up your heart and help you in the places where you're mourning. I came to give you a lot of blessings. Like we can do this exchange thing, right? I'll give you this instead of that. I'll give you this instead of that. And this, those are some of my favorite blessings to read about, that we get to have a garland of beauty on our heads instead of the ashes of death. See, we don't have to go to the death chamber anymore. God leads us over here and he cleans us up and puts a garland of beauty on us. That's what Christ came to do as he saves our spirit, gives us a new body, and enters into the process with us of this salvation of our souls. All this amazing instead of blessings. And then we get to verse 4, and that's where we're really going to center today. And you might have read this before, you might not have. This might be new to you, but let me read verse 4 to you. We'll start with the first two words. Then they. Read those two words with me. Then they. So here's Jesus' mission, and now here is our response. Because do you know who the they is? It's us. Anybody who has said, yes, Jesus, I want what you came to do in my life. We are the they. And this is a prophetic word about us. May we be the people that say, let me show you who I am and we could read this. Let me show you what my life is about and we could read this. Listen to what it says. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations. This is one of those places where God's repeating the same thing. He's talking about our response to the gospel, to the good work of Jesus in our lives, and what we are supposed to be doing, what it's supposed to look like. Church, this is how you get fat. This is how you grow up and get bigger. And we're going to talk about each one of these things. So first of all, we're going to talk about rebuilding the ancient ruins. Because see, this is not, you know, a lot of times we will just have our hands open. And this is not a bad thing to do this. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times we're like, Jesus, just touch me and set me free. And he's like, I have done that. I have set your spirit free. And I have given you a plan and a promise of freedom for your body so you don't have to worry about it and get all uptight like the rest of the world. You know what you're going to get in heaven. You know I've got this body. I've given you that. And I've given you the plan for freedom. And we're still standing there, just set me free. He said, no, you get in there, roll up your sleeves, and let's get to work together. Because I've got things that you're supposed to be doing. And the first one is rebuild the ancient ruins. You know, before the foundation of time, there were things in God's heart that he set up. Boundaries, truths, blessings, all kinds of things that he set up, the ancient ways of God. He designed those things before he ever spoke the world into existence. Sin has brought them to ruin in the past, and even to this day, sin mocks the things of God, dismisses their value, and is constantly trying to bring ruin. I mean, just listen to the news, right? Just look in the mirror a lot of times. But if we want the freedom that God is offering us, then those ruins have to be rebuilt into our life. Truth by truth, standard by standard, blessing by blessing, one after another. Now notice the word is rebuilt. 
build. God's not saying, all right, let's just bulldoze those ruins. That didn't work. We'll start fresh. We'll get a whole new thing and make a whole new you. Now, he does make a whole new you. We're a new creation in Christ. That's because his spirit is born in us. That's your new being, okay? But then he says, now I want you to rebuild all the things that I created you for in the first place, right? God designed us for freedom. He has an ancient plan. And when you rebuild something, think about when you rebuild something. You have to go back to the original plan. You have to go back to the original designer and check in with him and supply yourself with the things that he would have supplied for the thing. You've got to study those plans and know those plans and then get to work on rebuilding them. That's where freedom starts, church. Breaking the yoke of sin in our lives starts by going back to the ancient plan of God and looking at what those plans are. Knowing those plans so well and supplying our life by those plans. Now, where do you find those plans? Right here. They're in the word of God. So we have to know the word of God. Now, the cool thing is, at City Life, we have this amazing discipleship tool, right? A lot of these ancient plans are right there in the middle of that discipleship tool. These pathways, right? The, the ancient plan of stewardship, the ancient plan of worship, the ancient plan of prayer, the ancient plan of fasting, all these things that God laid out in his word, we've compiled them here and given a tool for us to use. You know, a, a lot of times if you try to rebuild something and you don't have the right tools, it's really hard. We've got an amazing tool here. And sometimes I think we hear about the pathways and we're just used to hearing about them. That's God talking to us over and over and over again because he cares about our freedom, right? We need to rebuild those plans into our life if we want freedom. This is God's way of telling us. This is how we're going to grow and get fat. What about the next thing? They're going to raise up the former devastations. You know, I believe this can be a reference to the personal things in our lives that have been devastated. Things that are specific to my story. Things that are specific to your story. The former things, meaning the things in our past. The things that we look at from our former days, maybe even just this afternoon, that have become a deep disappointment to us. A deep hurt, a deep ache. Things that were never supposed to be the way that they are. They're devastated from what God would have planned, what you know is right for your life. You know what? As I study this, they will raise up the former devastations. I really just get this sense in my heart that God is calling us to a place of like strong muscles, of strength and of hope. So that what we can do, church, is instead of just looking at those things and letting our hearts be sad about them and letting our, our, our um, demeanor just be, you know, weighed down about those things, instead we go, no. Look what Jesus told me in the first three verses that he came to do. Yes, that was like that. So we don't try to dress it up and say it's not devastating. It's devastating. But instead, we have started growing because we've been rebuilding the ancient truths of God that he's sovereign, that he's redemptive, that he is amazingly powerful and miraculous worker and he loves us and he's valued us. So we reach down and we pick up those things and we raise them up to heaven and we say, no, my God told me that I don't have to have mourning. I get this instead, right? We don't know how God's going to fix those things, but we raise them up. 
And a lot of times that has to happen every day because Satan will come and he'll try to put that yoke around us again and we can say, no, I'm raising this up to heaven today. It affects the way we talk, it affects the way we think, it's that spiritual strength getting big in us, getting strong in us, getting fat in us, so we raise those things up to heaven and we have a different view of them. We're not looking at them in the brokenness of sin. That's where the world looks at things. That's where Satan would have us look at things. No, we raise up the former devastations. And you might have a lot of former devastations. I do too. I've had to learn to raise those things up to heaven if I want to be free. Let's look at the last one. They will repair the ruined cities. Now to do this, we're going to go back just a little bit into the Old Testament, to the story of the children of Israel. Because so many times, their story really mirrors our story. You know what? God miraculously brought them out of Egypt. He did that. They couldn't have done that. Just like God miraculously saved our spirit. No way we could have done that. God promised them that they were going to have abundant living in the promised land. There is no way they could have taken the promised land without God, okay? God had to do that. Just like there is no way we're going to ever get a new body without God doing it and take us to heaven, right? But there were many parts of their story where God said, okay, now you're going to do this with me. And they had a choice of whether or not they were, just like we have a choice. And you know what a big part of their story was? A big part of the invitation from God was, hey, we're going to go and we're going to take some cities. We're going to take some cities. Now, if you grew up in church like me, you probably grew up singing about the walls of Jericho coming tumbling down, right? And we have a tendency to think that that's what they did. Like, that was the promised land, Jericho, they walked up to it, they obeyed God, they marched around it seven times, blew the horn, and the walls came tumbling down, they walked in, they were free, they had this abundant life, and wow, we want to be just like them. Now, it is true that God did a miraculous thing, they obeyed him, they went, they marched around seven times, but do you know, if you read your Bible, you find that that's just one city. They had many cities. Jericho was just the first one. They had to go to city after city after city in the promised land. They had to take those cities, and then those cities were a wreck because there were battles that went on. And so they had to spend a lot of time repairing those cities. It took time. It took energy. And it took effort. How many of us know that that's what repairing takes, right? A lot of that. And you might be thinking, well, what does that have to do with my life? Well, think of your life as a land of promise that God has, that he wants to give you to live this abundant life. And inside of your life, there are many, many cities. There's a financial city in your life. There's a marriage city in your life. There's a sexual city in your life. There's a career city in your life. There's a conversation city, a relationship city. You get the idea of what I'm talking about, right? And all of these places need to be taken over for the glory of God. And then when they're taken over, you know what has to happen? A lot of repair work in those cities if they're really going to be lived to the glory of God. Let me tell you something that God put on my heart this week, and it really convicted me about some yokes that I know he's calling me to walk in and repair and grow in, right? God spoke to me, and he said, you would never settle for halfway work in a lot of places in your life. Like if your roof was a mess and you hired somebody and you paid the money, you wouldn't be okay if they said, okay, we fixed the front, but we just got kind of tired. We're not going to fix the back. Or if you went to the dentist and you needed work done on both your front teeth and he said, I did the first one, but it's lunchtime, I'm going to the next one, right? 
You would be no way, or your computer, or your car. You would never settle for halfway because you paid money and you want that thing fixed completely. You know what? God paid the highest price for us. And he does not settle for halfway, and we should not. Good enough is not okay. Have you seen those commercials? Okay is not okay. It's not okay, church. We need to take the cities and then repair them completely. And I believe that God is calling each one of us to be the foreman in that repair work. Where you got to show up every single day. You can't sleep in today because you're tired or somebody hurt your feelings or it's just too hard this time, right? You got to get up, do the repair work, step in there with God and see his grace flow over the whole thing. Having a yoke around our neck is never good enough. God has freedom. Church, he did his part, and the question is, will we do ours? Because here's the thing. The children of Israel, many of them did not do their part. You read their story, and one time after another, they chose to just settle into the captivity, to just be all right with it to try to fix things in their own way instead of God's way, to try to kind of do it God's way, but kind of do it the, the new city's way that they were in. And none of that stuff ever mixes. You've got to go back to the ancient truth, raise those devastations up to him, and repair according to what he says. Even in Isaiah chapter 10, that, where that passage is about fatness, that chapter is really about the remnant of God, the people the remnant were the people who remained faithful, who did stay all in, who did go the whole distance with God. Church, I want to be a part of that group. Do you want to be a part of that group? Or do you want to just be one of these believers who, yes, your spirit is saved, yes, you have a promise of heaven, but to look at your life, you would look just like the rest of the world if you could really see who we are, right? I don't want to be like that. I want to be genuinely through and through living out the salvation of myself completely you know this is really all spoken of in metaphor like we're cities and you know we're going to be a tree that's tall and big i mean all these different things and spiritually fat i mean all that's metaphor but there comes a time where we got to take the metaphor and just bring it into our life right we got to take that metaphor and say this is me this is who i'm going to be and so god is asking us tonight are we going to do that you know since that time so many years ago when the Lord just so mercifully taught me these things. And that's a story for another day. But I'm telling you, it was a miraculous day when God taught me all that I was showing you in that chart. And it started a journey in my life. But since that time, when I realized the responsibility that I had and I stepped into it, and that was almost 25 years ago, you know what? So many yokes have come off of my life. The yoke of immorality, the yoke of greed, the yoke of selfishness, the yoke of worry and depression and anxiety. So many things have come off of my life. There's been a ton of rebuilding that's had to happen. I've had to rebuild this into my life. I've had to turn aside many times from the new and flashy ways, even many times in the church, the new and flashy ways and say, no, this is what matters to me. This is the ancient plan and God has told me to rebuild it in my life. I've had to look at the former devastations in my life and I've had plenty and I've had to say, no, they will not stay there. Jesus has promised me these things instead, and I will take the spiritual strength, the faith, and the hope that he's building inside of me and raise those things up every day. I have had to show up 
day after day after day and obey God and do the hard work. And he has taken these yokes off. I have taken these yokes off with him as that growth has come up on the inside of me. The ministry of Jesus, it's all about him, but he invites me into it. And you know what? I don't want to move on without looking at this last phrase of verse 4. It says, the desolations of many generations. Church, we need to understand there is a depth to our sin that we're not even aware of. You know what? Because you would maybe think, well, goodness gracious, you've been doing this for 25 years and you still got yokes. I do. I do. Because when I started 25 years ago, I was not aware of the yokes that God has revealed to me now. There is such a work of the enemy from day one in the Garden of Eden. Desolation after desolation, generation after generation. And we come into this world and many of those yokes are passed down into our lives. God doesn't reveal all of that to us at once. We would be crushed under the weight of that. But as we grow in him and we get stronger, those yokes begin to come off and then he reveals another. And we've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And the great thing is, is that we're growing big so that we're taking them off. We're not putting new ones on. And we're not passing new ones down. So we've got to break this chain of the desolations of many generations. And it's a beautiful thing because God helps us. Verses 1 through 3 here are all about Jesus' mission in our lives. Verse 4 is about our response. Do you know what verses 5 through 7 are? The grace outflow that will come into your life when you say, yes, God, I'm going to participate with you. God's not going to just leave you there. He's not going to say, okay, I did your spirit, and I did your body. Now you get to work, and I'll watch you, and we'll see how it works out. That's not what he does. He just is inviting you because he wants you to experience the wonder, right? He could do that, but he wants you to experience the wonder and grow up in the faith so you become a co-laborer with him, and you enjoy the blessings of, of seeing the battles won and the things repaired, and you become, you know what you become? Jesus said this about us. He prophesied this about us, becoming a city on a hill, right, that lights up the world with the light of Jesus because it's grown so big in us. These verses, verse 5, I'm going to read them really, really fast. Verse 5 says, and strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. Do you know what that is? That is the grace of God giving you help. When you step into these things, he's going to put people and, and um, situations in your life that are foreign to you. Case in point, City Life Church being given a $3.5 million building right? Like, who does that, right? That's for the church, but he does that for us personally. I have so many stories that I could tell you of how God has put strangers and foreigners in my life to help me in these things that I'm stepping into. That's one of the graces that flows in our life. Verse 6, but you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches, you will boast. This is the grace of a new identity and God's provision, your whole identity changes. You look at yourself and your reputation of yourself now becomes that I am connected to God. Like we do things together. Like I see him working every day and providing for me and setting me free. And you have stories, family stories of the family of God because you're in it, right? And you get identified that way and other people start identifying you that way. I walked into our Pilates studio a couple days ago and one of the girls in our studio looked at me and she said, you just have light all over you. 
And, and I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I'm glad because Jesus lives within me and he's the light of the world. So I want that we had this great conversation. But you know what? She didn't know what that was. But she's just like, you got light coming like out of you and stuff. And I was like, I love this. You know, I'm identified with him. And I eat the wealth of what he has. And that, yes, that is physically, he provides and he does do that. But that is internally too. Like deep in the, eating the soul richness of God. Where he gives you a meal for your emotions. He gives you the affirmation that you need. You eat of the richness of the Lord. And then the last thing here, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. You get the grace, right? You get the grace of joy. The grace of joy. Man cannot create joy. We cannot manufacture joy. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And that double portion, there's a lot of theories out there, but I believe it's the forgiveness and the freedom. And when you experience both, there is that joy that just rises up within you. And you get stories to tell of how God has set you free. God gives us grace. In fact, Galatians says he gives us grace upon grace. Just like God met the children of Israel and he did crazy things for them. Like he split open rocks and poured out water. He made donkeys talk. He rained down bread from heaven. All this stuff, grace for them as they stepped into what he called them to do to participate with him. He will do those same kinds of things for us. In church, it's fun. Like you get to see this kind of stuff happening in your life. We get to live in the joy of it all. Tonight, I believe that God is calling us into a place of freedom. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. God is calling us into a place of freedom. And he's given us a word tonight in his word that is really just so clear, right? Three words. Rebuild, raise up, and repair. That's what we need to be doing. And so I think as we bring things to a time where we need to respond, right? So the mission of Jesus was in those first three verses, and then there's a response. We need to respond to the word of God. And I think the Lord wants to ask us three questions tonight as we move into a time of worship. He wants to ask us to think in our minds of places where we know that we're bound up, and we all have them, right? There's things that we don't even know about. Don't worry about those, right? Pastor Fred's talked to us about Deuteronomy 29. We're not responsible for the things yet, yet revealed to us, but the things that have been revealed to us, we are responsible for. And they're invitations from God to bring salvation to our soul. So think about what those things are and then ask yourself, let God ask you these three questions about those things. Have you rebuilt the ancient ruins? For instance, like for your finances, maybe you just feel like you are bound up in a spirit of poverty all the time. Like you just can't get free from it. Like you never have enough. And when you finally get there, then something else happens. You just can't break out of that. God would ask you, have you rebuilt the ancient ruins of stewardship and generosity and tithing and the truths that he gives in his word about finances? That's where you start. See, so many times we look at the thing that's happening and we try to get that out of our life. Or we got to say, I just got to stop doing that and then I'll be free. That's not how it works. That's not where freedom comes from. It comes from doing the things of God, getting bigger in those things, and then the yoke just gets displaced. So God would say, have you rebuilt the ancient ruins? God would say, have you raised up the former devastations? 
Is your gaze always looking down and looking back and, 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 and you're just constantly talking about the hurt and constantly just dwelling in that? Or are you picking that thing up every day and raising it up to heaven and saying, God, I don't know how you'll do it. I don't know when you'll do it. I don't even know what it'll look like, but I know what you have said is true and your mission in my life is real. And so I'm gonna raise it up to you and my eyes are up to you. Have you raised up the former devastations? Trusting God to change things and redeem things because he can and he does. And then lastly, lastly, church, have you repaired the ruined cities? See, a lot of times God gives us specific things to do, and we just say, ah, this is good enough. We don't do the full repair work. And God is asking us, have you done the repair work? Have you done the repair work? If your answer to any of those questions is no, as we enter into a time of worship, and I'm going to invite you to stand, as we enter into a time of worship, I want to encourage you to change that to a yes. Whatever that conversation with God needs to look like, maybe you need to come up and pray with somebody. You know, the beauty of a church family is that you don't have to rebuild and repair and raise up all by yourself. We do it together. And some of that happens in prayer. So we're gonna have some teams up here to pray. There's one in the back as well. If you wanna come for prayer, to figure out in prayer with the Holy Spirit, no people are rallying with you to figure out how to change that no to a yes, then come and let's pray. But if your answer is yes, you're probably in one of two places. The first one would be, you've gotten free. Praise the Lord. Put your hand in the air and say, hallelujah, I'm free. And that means you have a testimony. You need to be sharing that testimony. But maybe you've said yes to all three of those questions and you're sitting there going, but I'm still not free. I want to encourage you, you keep showing up. You keep doing the things, those three things, you keep doing them over and over again. And little by little, that yoke's gonna start to crack. And it's gonna start to pull apart. And one day it's gonna fall off completely and you're gonna look back and go, wow, I'm not yoked anymore. And everlasting joy is gonna be yours, right? Such a good plan God has for our salvation, church. Will we step into it? Let's worship and talk to the Lord about stepping into our part of the plan of freedom. God bless you.